It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103 text and whatsapps 086 103 103 and that text and whatsapp number is going to be important uh, that you have made a note of that for later on because we have another 150 euro foot solutions gift card to give away today on the programme uh, because all this week we've teamed up with foot solutions because they're proud to be celebrating 15 years in Cork free your feet the rest will follow as I've been doing all week I'll play you a 15 second audio clip from an event that happened sometime during the last 15 years and we'll ask a question about that particular event and when we do that later on in the programme the answer to 086 to 103 103 then we'll make a draw from the correct answer answers and one listener picks up the 150 euro Foot Solutions gift card. So stay listening for that as we celebrate with Foot Solutions. Proud to be in Cork for the last 15 years. And talking of celebrating in Cork, can I say and pass on once again uh, my sincere congratulations to Mary Crilly, the Director of the Sexual Violence Centre in uh, Cork and indeed a founding member of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. It was the Cork Rape Crisis Centre at the time when it was been set up because this afternoon she has been granted the Freedom of Cork which is the highest honour that the city can bestow on anyone and I tell you there is nobody more worthy of this prize and I was thrilled a number of weeks ago when it was announced that Mary Criddy was to get the Freedom of the City and I know Mary herself because she's such a humble uh, person and has just so dedicated her life to the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork and she's been doing the work for the almost 40 years now. It was actually back in 1983 when they set up the first uh, centre. It's hard to believe that a, a person can dedicate their life to the work that Mary has done. I mean, she's incredible. And uh, I know she said in her own words that she's been blown away uh, by the fact that she's been granted the freedom of Cork. And of course, Mary will go on uh, to say that, you know, she's picking up this uh, this honour on behalf of all of the people that she's helped 
over the years and all of the staff that have helped her to run the services and up to 10,000 people have used the services of the centre since it was first uh, opened. It's, it really is uh, incredible. And what, what I didn't realise was when the centre first opened back in 1983, it was a very different time in 1983 and very different situation to where we are now. She says that they were actually raided by the Garda Special branch in the first nine months of operation because it was been seen as being too radical what they were doing offering services to people who had been raped. Isn't that, that just tell you the sign of the times and you can imagine how difficult and it still is difficult today for people to come forward to say I need help I you know I have been raped or I have been sexually a- abused and you know thank, we, we are so thankful for services like the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork and those 10,000 people that have gone through their doors over the years uh, for many of those they've saved their lives with the help that they've, uh, they have offered so well done to Mary Crilly as I say she will be picking up her Freedom of Cork City at a special award which is going to take place later on this afternoon and of course she joins a list of very honourable people who have received this award in the past including former US President the late John F. Kennedy got it, John Hume got it, President Mary Robinson, Sonia Sullivan, Roy Keane, John Major, John Major, uh, Ronan O'Gara and uh, Dean Swift uh, amongst some of the recipients and now added to that list is the wonderful Mary Crilly. So congratulations as I say once again to Mary. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open and we're already getting calls into the programme this morning. Firstly, can I just say to people living in Kilavollen, people in, in Kilavollen have been living under a boil water notice now for many, many weeks and I think probably a couple of times every week we'll get a phone call in from somebody in the Kilavollen area saying, can you, can you find out is the boil water notice still in place? And time and time again I've had to come back and say, yeah, we checked with Irish Water and the boil water notice is still in place. So some people living in Kilavollen are starting to get a little bit frustrated with this boil water notice. I think people will put up with it for a week or two but when it starts to linger on it just frustration starts to uh, kick in. And some of the residents are contacting us saying, look, can you find out from Irish Water, have they a timeline on when they expect the boil water notice to be lifted in Kilavollen and also what work are they doing in order to remove and lift the boil water notice so we're, we're putting the shout out at water we're, we're contacting them again this morning so we'll get back to anybody in the Kilavollen area hang in there hopefully before the close of the programme today that if I can at least get some kind of a timeline from Irish Water as to when that boil water notice will be lifted and yesterday on the programme we were speaking with Councillor Eileen Lynch who had raised an issue with the HSE's Southern Forum about the different visiting restrictions that are in place across the different hospitals in Cork City and uh, County. And she was asking, you know, could there not be some kind of uniformity so that when, God forbid, we have a loved one who ends up in hospital, we'll kind of have a rough idea when we will be able to get in to see them. And each of the hospitals seem to have their own restrictions and rules in place when it comes to visiting times and who's allowed to visit and who's not allowed to visit and what time of the day you can go in and can you just walk in do you need to book a time slot and we were going through that yesterday and that led to a couple of people contacting us you know and talking about their own frustrations 
with going to visit a loved one in hospital. And towards the close of the programme, I had a very sad text in from a gentleman who was talking about his father back in COVID times who ended up in hospital when there was no visitors allowed at all. And it was getting to end of life for this gentleman's uh, dad. And he was on to the hospital pleading for him to be able to go in to see his dad. And eventually the hospital, after about two hours, said, OK, you can come in now to see him. And he, you know, very quickly got into the car, drove to the hospital and he was too late. He arrived at the hospital. Unfortunately, his dad had had a, a major cardiac arrest and had passed away. And, you know, he was just, like he said in his text yesterday, I'll never be able to forgive them that, you know, he'd missed the last three weeks of his dad's life. Life had been in hospital. He had been able to get in to see him. And at the very end, he wasn't even able to be with him. Well, Karma contacted us to say she was in a similar situation. And for Carmel, it was her beloved husband. He was terminally ill and he was in hospital. This again was during the height of the pandemic when no visitors were uh, allowed. Now, because her husband was at end of life care, they were allowing visits at certain times. Now, we're being told now that a lot of that has changed and on compassionate grounds, additional arrangements and additional times are allowed for people to go in and see their loved ones. But obviously when Carmel's husband was dying, we were at the height of the pandemic so that she was very limited in the times she could get in to see him. So she said she she was in visiting her husband and she said it was on one particular day and she said she knew the end was near. He was He really was fading almost in uh, front of him. Now she wasn't to know that this was going to be the last time that she would see her husband alive but she said the whole thing was very upsetting and when it was time for her to go, you know, her visiting hour, her allocated time, I don't know how long she was allowed in, was up and she was told you have to leave. She said she touched the side of the bed as she was uh, leaving. So she said it was the metal type frame, your typical hospital bed. And she said a nurse started to give out to her saying, what are you doing? Why have you touched the bed? You've contaminated uh, the bed. And Karma said she just felt so stressed at the time. She just sort of put her hand on the bed and she said she, you know, and she kind of got new in her heart and soul that, you know, her husband was at end of life. She said she was just so upset. Anyway, she left uh, the hospital with the hospital promise, promising that if there was any change in her husband, they would call her. Now her daughter ended up getting the call. It was at 3am in the morning and unfortunately it was the call they didn't want to hear. It was the call to say that Carmel's much loved husband had passed away. So Carmel now says she lives with the knowledge that the last time she saw her husband alive and the last time she was in his uh, presence at that exact moment as she was leaving him there was a nurse berating her for touching the bed and she said it was just so upsetting and that thought uh, remains with her and will remain with her forever which is just so uh, sad. Um, Carmel really my heart just goes out to you and I know there were so many strict rules and regulations about what what you had to wear and masking up and gowning up and putting gloves on and not touching this and and not touching that but it is that was heartbreaking to hear your call and we really do hope that you are doing uh, okay and then another gentleman uh, contacted us who doesn't want us to call out his name which is fine and says Patricia I just came in on the second half of your conversation yesterday with Councillor Eileen Lynch around visiting restrictions at Uh, hospitals. Well, there's also restrictions when it comes to the A&E department. Now, this particular texter says, I want to call BS on the logic behind the HSE rules. 
Your guest, Councillor Eileen Lynch, stated that COVID was still rampant in the community and within the hospitals. And that's why they were limiting and even denying access, which was in my case recently when both my wife and myself attended the accident and emergency department with our son, upon which we were told only one of us would be allowed in with my son. You might think that makes sense to take this approach to protect patients. But if that was the concern, why are there not any restrictions on the HSE staff? The HSE has around 67,000 direct employees with a further 35,000 employed via agencies. That's over 100,000 staff members. Any one of them can attend GAA match with hundreds and even thousands of people. They can go to a Garth Brooks concert or any other musical concert that they want to attend. There can be up to 80,000 people at any of those concerts in close proximity with each other. And then they return to work the following day. And yet they tell us, concerned family members and parents, that we can't see our loved one due to the risk of COVID. To me, that is double standard by the HSC and its staff and I find it sickening. I can understand if they restrict visits to direct family members only and especially parents of younger and teenage children. But what was the point of the vaccine programme if they weren't doing even doing that? I'm triple vaccinated, but after my experience with the A&E department on Tuesday night, I now see no point in ever getting another one. I can go to concerts, discos, pubs. I can even travel with or without a vaccination overseas. But I can't attend the hospital at a time that I need when fully vaccinated. What is the point? I feel the HSC has become very cold and they've become a very disconnected organisation. Please keep my name uh, confidential. That was emailed to patricia at c103.ie and when you have a child that is sick and must be unwell if you're taking them to the A&E department, of course both mum and dad want to be with their child just to make sure that the child is okay and to reassure the child and that's a tough decision you get to the door of the hospital to be told sorry only one parent is allowed in and the, you know you make the decision is it going to be the mum is it going to be the dad but certainly upsetting for everyone HSC will say they're doing it to keep everybody safe but our listener uh, wonders is the double standards going on Irvin and Bandon uh, was listening to me reading out the comment from Carmel, Carmel whose poor husband uh, died during Covid times and her last memory of being with him was a nurse giving out to her because I'm Unfortunately, as she was leaving the room, uh, she touched the bed and obviously I'm assuming she'd taken her glove off or she had been wearing gloves, I don't know, but the nurse had a go at her saying she'd contaminated uh, the bed. Mervyn and Bandon was listening, saying, well, you know, what a heartbreaking story to have to listen uh, to. But Mervyn said, what we all have to remember is that laws during the height of the COVID pandemic only applied to some and there was different rules for others. Let us not forget, forget Golfgate and all those that were involved in that. Ah, yeah, but Marvin, what you have to remember about Golfgate as well was there was a court case and the court acquitted them all of the charges saying the event had been organised within the rules and the due care to uh, public health. So let us not forget that as well. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. And Pat in Formoy is raising the issue of speed bumps on the programme this morning and is interested in other people's thoughts on it. He wants to know why do speed bumps differ so much 
right across the city and county. And he's talking about his own hometown of Moy. He said, you've got some speed bumps, you can go over them very smoothly, but other ones, they're so high, um, it, 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 you can nearly damage your car trying to go over, over them. He's wondering why there isn't uniformity in speed bumps and why they don't have one standard speed bump, which would be the same all over the country. Do people live in areas where some of this... Well, and remember, the, uh, the idea behind a speed bump, Pat, is to get you to slow down. So maybe they put slightly higher ones in areas where they know if they put lower ones, people will still speed over them. The whole idea of a speed bump is you should slow down and then you should go very slowly over it in order to reduce your speed. But you are right, there certainly isn't there isn't standardisation of speed bumps. There seems to be all different types and particularly in the way they're designed as well and certainly they vary in height. Other people's views on speed bumps welcomed please. 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie. Now as we mentioned yesterday more than a third of young people who drink alcohol are engaged in hazardous or harmful drinking. It's according to a report from the Health Research Board. It also highlighted that Ireland now has the second highest proportion in Europe of cocaine use amongst 15 to 24 year olds. To discuss the situation further, I'm joined by Michael Geeran, who is Senior Addiction Therapist with Convira Addiction Treatment Centres. Good morning to you, Michael. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Has drug and especially cocaine use got worse, do you believe, in the last couple of years? Well, we have been seeing concerning trends, Patricia, around cocaine use since we think 2015, 2016. And your listeners may recall that back in the Celtic Tiger era, there was a lot of talk about high cocaine use at a time when we were very economically prosperous. And then cocaine kind of tailed off a little bit with the austerity and the financial crisis. But the latest iteration of cocaine use in Ireland is a completely different phenomenon to what we experienced back then, because then it was a thing that was seen to be amongst the more affluent classes of society and it was more or less contained in certain urban areas. In this current um, um, iteration of cocaine abuse that we're seeing, cocaine use and availability is absolutely widespread across the country. And we, we, we never thought we would see days like this where cocaine would be almost as available as, as, as alcohol at this point. Yeah, because we hear about these multi-million euro cocaine seizures and obviously, you know, the Gardaí are pains to point out and they're delighted when they get these multi-million uh, seizures. But yet it seems to be, as, as you say, as easily available as going for a pint. Yes, and the interesting thing, Patricia, in spite of the great work that the Gardaí are doing in making these multi-million euro seizures, of cocaine is that it never seems to affect supply. In other words, I have never been told by a cocaine user that they had difficulty in getting their hands on cocaine in spite of the millions of euro of it that are seized by the Gardaí, which gives you an indication of the scale of the cocaine problem in Ireland. So what what they're seizing is only the tip of the iceberg. Exactly. What they're seizing is so small in the grander scheme of things that it's not making a difference in supply to the end user. And there was a colossal seizure of cocaine in Italy, something like a quarter of a billion euro there recently. 
and uh, part of the, the the Italian authorities are of the view that some of that cocaine was destined for Ireland. So, I mean, you're talking mega bucks altogether. It's crazy stuff. And I'm interested to hear you say how the how the usage has changed because, like back in the Celtic Tiger, it was almost seen as the rich man's drug, and it was seen very much cocaine. Oh, it's only recreational use. But this report showing a hundred and seventy one percent increase in hospitalisations for young people seeking treatment for cocaine use. That isn't yeah. recreational use. No, that's not recreational use. But I suppose what. What they're describing there when they talk about hospitalisations, Patricia, is they're talking about individuals who have had an adverse medical event because of their cocaine consumption. And as Colin O'Gara articulated very well last night on, on the Tonight Show, a lot of what goes on is people drink a certain amount and then they use cocaine to be able to keep drinking. So you end up with people taking cocaine in, in conjunction with vast amount of alcohol which can very easily result in a hospitalisation. Ah, oh, that so therefore that would explain uh, the increase. Talking of alcohol, then the report says young adolescents are starting to drink later, which has got to be uh, welcomed. But when you dig into this report, thirty-eight percent of fifteen to twenty-four year olds were classed as having an alcohol use disorder. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who ultimately you would will more than likely end up seeing. Well, they would, and and when they refer to alcohol use disorder in the report, what they speak about is somebody who is drinking to harmful levels, not necessarily somebody who has an alcohol addiction, but people who abuse alcohol at a young age is a very strong predictor of full-blown alcoholism in adulthood or later life. So these are very concerning figures in that regard. That, like, in a lot of cases, alcohol abuse can be a precursor of alcoholism, which will develop later. And I was reading in the papers this morning from Alcohol Action Ireland. They were talking about the significant gap between the need for alcohol treatment and the low level of services. You know, they they were saying that more than a half a million people in Ireland are estimated to be drinking in a harmful way with 90,000 having a severe problem. Yet only 3,300 people entered alcohol treatment in uh, 2020. We we don't have enough treatment centres. We probably don't have enough resources devoted to it, but we also have a severe cultural issue um, where alcohol is concerned insofar as there, there are, are, are parts of our society that equate enjoyment with intoxication and harmful drinking and drunkenness and that kind of thing. And that's something we need to address, particularly in our younger generation. Even if we were to magic up all these treatment centre beds that would accommodate all these people with alcohol problems, that of itself wouldn't fix the issue because the, the biggest problem we face is that every day of the week we are creating new individuals with very little education and awareness um, at a young age who are developing substance misuse disorders with things like alcohol and cocaine and many other things. How, how do we solve the problem, though? I think we need to start, Patricia, by taking a serious look at how effective if at all, the education and prevention strategies we have for young people in junior cycle of secondary school have been. Because the clients, the modern-day clients that we are meeting, are reporting to us that they have engaged with substances like cocaine as young as junior cert age. So that's an indication that we need to be working with people in the junior cycle 
and creating a very suitable, targeted messaging system to those people so that they will think twice before they will engage in these harmful patterns. And I think a sustained run of that over a number of years might help to to minimise the fallout that we're seeing at the moment from things like alcohol and cocaine. And are you seeing younger clients all the time? Well, we're seeing clients that are all over 18, but the alarming thing we're seeing is the age of first use that they are reporting to us when they present to us at adults is falling. So we're getting young people on a regular basis telling us that they were using cocaine as young as 15 years old and speaking about cocaine in the same breath as they speak about alcohol and cannabis, which would indicate to us that cocaine is now becoming a drug that is becoming part of that milieu of substances that young adolescents use as part of the risk-taking behaviour that can very easily end up with them having a problem of the severity that they need to be referred to a service like ourselves in adulthood. And how busy are you, Michael, at at Cunvira? We're extremely busy and we have particularly um, um, strong demand for beds for people of the type that we have described who are very young and are presenting in a condition that is similarly or broadly like what we would have seen addicts who were 10 years old or 10 years ago. So they had significant harm done at a very young age and their lives have been compromised in all sorts of ways by their drug and alcohol misuse. So would you have a waiting list? We have a waiting list, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what that waiting list would be off the top of my head, but there certainly is a waiting list to access treatment. Males and females coming into Males, Males and females, yes. Probably cocaine abuse, probably more pronounced amongst males than females, but it's certainly not a male thing by any stretch of the imagination. But if they get the help, like what you offer at Convira, can they turn their lives around and, and, and go on to lead normal, productive, healthy lives? Yes, they can absolutely turn their lives around if they are, are of, of a mindset that they are prepared to engage with the treatment programme in the, in the necessary way that's required to effect a recovery. One of the problems that we're finding now is because cocaine availability and use is so widespread, cocaine abusers who come in and engage in treatment programs are very worried and anxious about being exposed to cocaine when they go back out into the community because they are saying that there are very few social or, or, or circle of friends kind of situations that they can go to where they can be absolutely assured they won't be exposed to cocaine, which would be a risk to them in early recovery. God, isn't that a frightening yeah. statement to make? Yeah, For the is. young people themselves to admit, when I leave yeah. here, I know I'm going to be exposed to cocaine because everywhere I go, it's going to be there. Exactly. And I suppose that's one of the, when we would be talking to clients about triggers and risk factors post-treatment, that is something that is commonly articulated to us, that they feel that they will be exposed to cocaine in situations and by people, sometimes within their own family, um, at a point after they leave treatment, and that is a concern for them. Someone says, would you ask, Michael, the minimum unit pricing of alcohol, does he think that that's going to help in any way? Minimum unit pricing seems to have helped in in other um, parts of the world in terms of reducing alcohol-related hospitalisations and stuff. The problem with minimum unit pricing is it's a very indiscriminate, blunt instrument by which to control alcohol problems. And sadly, it affects responsible drinkers as well. So I suppose 
I have some degree of sympathy for people um, in these very inflationary times whose responsible drink is costing them more because of minimum unit pricing. But I would think, yes, it would be somewhat effective in reducing the incidence of harmful drinking. Okay. All right, listen, you do amazing work at Coonvera, uh, you and the gang. Uh, continue good luck with your work, uh, Michael. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Michael Geeran, uh, Senior Addiction Therapist with Convira Addiction Treatment uh, Centres. Now, she's shown on e- by email to Patricia at c103.ie on alcohol misuse. Says the government uh, recently revised the licensing laws in order to allow nightclubs to open until 6am in the morning. If we don't have enough antisocial behaviour and crime at the moment, surely when my um, clubs are allowed to open until 6am it will only make it 10 times worse what about the rest of us who are simply trying to get a good night's sleep they need to stop this idea in its tracks and do it now uh, thank you Sean that was by email to Patricia at c103.ie Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie and just on cocaine use text in saying morning Trish my son is sitting his junior cert at the moment good luck with the exams he's told me that cocaine is rampant amongst his classmates the guards contacted the school to give a talk on the subject and it was declined by the principal talk about sticking your head in the sand says this uh, texter God, you should inquire from the school as to why they declined the guardy coming in I find that really really bizarre particularly if uh, what your son is saying is true rampant amongst junior cert and actually Michael Geeran backs that up uh, saying he can't get over the number of young people who are saying that they're starting cocaine use in that junior cert year and what are they? 14, 15 at the most. Uh, so, so young. 0818 103 103. Now, one of the reasons cited for our current housing crisis is down to private landlords deciding to leave the market and to stop renting out their properties. One local landlord has contacted us to outline some of the problems he's facing with regard to the HAP payment and his frustrations might explain why people are leaving the market. Good morning to uh, Brendan O'Mara. Good morning to you, Brendan. Morning, Patricia. And, and, How are you? Well, I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for for contacting us on this one because I think some a lot of people I think would be surprised to hear your story. You say that the HAP rules are a nightmare for landlords. Can you start by explaining to people how the HAP scheme works? The HAP scheme works. Um, prior to the HAP scheme, you had the county council made the made their relevant portion of the payment to the landlord and the tenant individually made their portion of the payment to the landlord, okay? Okay, that was the so, old rent allowance. Yeah, that was the rent allowance scheme. Now you had the HAP scheme, which was introduced in 2014. So the tenant pays their rent to the HAP scheme, okay? The Core County Council HAP scheme, we're in the jurisdiction of Core County Council. And then the HAP pays the full amount of the rent. That's the tenant's portion and the HAP portion, okay? Okay. So, um... If it works well, which it does in most cases, it, it, it's fine. There's no problem with it. But if the tenant doesn't pay their portion of the HAP um, to the relevant council, which is called County Council, the council then inform you that the tenant is in arrears and that your payment might be seized, your entire payment. So they will send you another letter then saying that the tenant has been seized, 
um, that the payment has been seized, will be seized, and the tenant will be struck off, perhaps. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I had one tenant um, with this problem, okay? I've had them for 10 or 12 years, and they've had problems in the past, but they've kind of got on again to the HAP scheme and made extra payments, and they struggled away with them. So I got, um, I, I was paid. But in this instance, I wasn't paid. I was, the tenant was struck off. Now, I said I would go, um, I left to go for a while. I went to the tenant, and they said they started out, but nothing happened. So then I went to, um, I said, at the end of April, my payments were seized since December, and at the end of April, I said, I go and get to the root of this problem. So I rang the office in Limerick to know what was due by the tenant, and they told me to get on to Cork County Council. I got on to Cork County Council, and I said, what is the problem? How much is due? And they told me get into the debt collection section in the HAP office in Limerick. I got onto the debt collection section in the HAP office in Limerick. And they told me they could only speak with the tenant. They cannot speak with the landlord. Now, so I mowed the money, you know, mm-hmm. and they won't tell me. They won't inform me. So they said, they, so I said, okay, I will go to the landlord and I will ring you tomorrow at 2.30, which I did. And I, the tenant spoke to the HAP and they... Um, a lot of different details been given. The HAP, uh, the HAP got permission to speak to me. Now, I spoke and the HAP, I said to them, what does the tenant owe to you? And they said, 66 euros, 70 cents. Now, I said, are you sure that's the amount? And they said, yes. So I said to them, um, that's not a problem anyway. The tenant said to me, I will be able to pay that amount of money. So, Anyway, that was fine. I thought I would get my money. Now, I was, I was owed for January, Feb, March, and April, 850 for the house per month, which was 3400 So, next minute, I got a phone call from Cork County Council saying, we won't be paying you for these four months, January, February, March, and April. The tenant hasn't paid for their rent contribution for these four months. I said, I must be on to the HAP office, and they told me that the amount involved is 66 euros 70 cents. They said that was up to the end of December when the uh, HAP, um, when the payment was seized. Was, uh, was seized. I said, um, that's ridiculous, I said. So I said, how much is owed by the tenant? Totally. And they said, they had paid the 66 euros 70 cents. Okay. I went with them, and I got the seat. They said 570 euro. I said, well, I suppose that has to be paid. But I said, um, then I will get my four months rent, 3,400. Oh, they said, no, because your, your, um, it has been, your payments will not be made. Um, you, you will not be paid for these four months. Even, even if the tenant pays the 570. Wait a minute, hold a second. Because the, the, the tenant has been has been um, struck off in scheme. So I said, that's ridiculous. I said, I won't, I won't put up with that. I said, I'll take this matter further. I'll go down the legal route. So he was, I mean, the person was helpful now in Cork County Council. I'm not knocking the person who I was talking to. So I eventually said, I said, this will not work, I said. I said, like, the tenant's contribution is 570. I said, your contribution is 2,830. 
I said, I'm owed 3,400. So I said, we will pay, I will make sure that that 570 is paid immediately. And I want my 3,400, otherwise you'll be, here, you'll be hearing from me. I'm my solicitor, I said. So eventually they said, okay, we will agree to that. And I did get paid, okay? Mm. I got paid my four months. But after a lot of hassle. Oh my God Almighty, you have no idea how but, much hassle. But, but if you hadn't have fought, it's very possible you wouldn't have got the money and you reckoning there are other landlords facing this very same issue and that could I'm not be... I'm there are a lot of them, Patricia. There are, some, there are some, there, there but are it, some. But it might but explain see, why some are leaving the market. It's, it's the system is wrong. The system is wrong, Patricia. Because, like, the landlord should be informed each month if the tenant doesn't pay their contribution. They should be told the following month uh, they, are, they should be given a cheque for the, for the HAP contribution, less the landlord's contribution, okay? Less the tenant's contribution. And less the tenant's contribution, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Where, whereas you... you it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Now, I, got, I wrote to the minister, and I got a nice letter or an email back this morning saying that it's the discretion of each um, council um, to implement their own rules. Ah, you know? that's interesting. The, the discretion of each council. Hab, yeah. You know, but they're implemented. Now, I'm not, for one second, I'm not complaining about the person I was speaking to in Cork County Council because they did actually agree with me, you know, to some extent. I could see that they were kind of half horrified with what they were telling me. You know, well, they're just abiding by the rules uh, that are uh, that are in place. And I also have to, because I, I see from the email that you you sent in, uh, it isn't all about getting the highest rent for you. Many you have you have a number of property properties. Many of your tenants pay below market rates. In yeah, fairness, a lot to of you. A, yeah, I have some single occupancy in nice houses, two three bedroom houses, who only paying me five fifty a month. I have sort of four bedroom houses. They are lovely houses with back gardens, new houses done to the last, everything in order, and uh, with car parking in the front for two cars, paying 900, maybe 1,000, you know, that sort of thing. That, I mean, I'm, below, I'm, against, yeah. I'm, against, I'm against high rents. Yeah. The rents are too high, because I would hate to think a, a tenant is going in and cannot afford the rent, you know, because that is going to cause problems from day one, okay? Yeah. And, and the thing is this, now there is some question I've, I saw in the paper whereby they might give the landlords a break um, if they if they have lower rents, which I think would be a good good idea. You that know? would be because a good half incentive. My rent is going between tax and um, and universal social charge and other things. Um, local RTD local property tax, and you've got the maintenance of the properties. And that's the big yeah. thing because if they bloody anything happens, if the sink. Um, gets choked, they'll ring you, you know, and you say the sink wasn't choked when you got the property, you'll do it once for them and you say, I'm not doing it anymore, you know. Now, in fairness, I have a lot of good tenants, you know. Okay. All right, all right. Listen, I'm, I'm out of time, but I think you have explained as well, if if landlords come up against that, prob- that problem with the HAP, it will also explain why we hear some landlords don't want to deal with HAP. Most of my, account, most of my landlords won't touch HAP and you see, the tenants go in, they go in as cash tenants, and after a few months they realise they can get HAP, and they will ask the landlord to sign the HAP. Now, over. I will do it, you know, but I mean, 
an awful lot of my counterpart they won't touch it yeah. OK and I think you've, you've, you've explained one of, the, one of the reasons why OK listen Brendan we leave it there thank you for that and uh, thanks, uh, thanks for uh, contacting us that is uh, Brendan O'Mara who is a local landlord and the problems he sees that some landlords are having with some tenants as well the majority of tenants are fine and all pay their contribution but if the tenant doesn't pay the contribution then the landlord loses out completely on the rent 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to cmig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed a reminder that we're bringing all the festival headliners to your back garden this year because the C103's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen to the C103's Back Garden Festival by going to our app or by simply going to c103.ie. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in. Uh, some reaction to Brendan who uh, joined us, the landlord explaining the problems that that some landlords are having and the challenges some landlords are having, particularly with regard to the HAP payment that was introduced in uh, 2014. And, you know, during my chat with Brendan, uh, he spoke about, you know, as a landlord, he's got the, the, the taxes he's got to pay on any income he earns. And I was also making the point as the maintenance of the property. And he said, yeah, that that is an ongoing issue. And he does sound like a very fair and uh, an honest landlord in that a lot of the houses that he is currently renting is below the market value and you know in some place in some cases some of his tenants are paying 70% of what the market rents are in a particular area and I'm sure that there are other very fair uh, fair landlords just like Brendan unfortunately there's other landlords then who see this current housing crisis as a way of just making money out of uh, tenants and also there are landlords who are not very good at making repairs and that's a one listener is making the point not all landlords are like Brendan you had on the programme in the last hour. The landlord I'm renting from is absolutely uh, terrible. He won't do any of the repairs that are needed on the property that I am renting. That's by text to 0862103103. On visitors to hospitals, Alyssa says, good morning Patricia. I've witnessed in CUH in a ward of six cancer patients visitors coming in and removing their masks for the duration of their visit. I've seen visitors using the patient's Surely, bit to God, people should realise that in a hospital setting, people are very vulnerable to infection, especially cancer patients. I was absolutely horrified to see visitors doing this and some visitors thinking it's okay to walk around the ward with no mask on, sit on the beds and not be reprimanded. It's no wonder COVID levels are rising again, says this uh, listener. So people need to be mindful when they are allowed into a hospital to visit, you are required to wear and CUH are one of the hospitals. I don't know if it's the same in all hospitals, but I know when we were going down through the rules and regulations governing visiting, visiting at CUH, one of them ha- is that they have to wear a mask and you should be wearing the mask at all times. This listener said she's witnessed visitors taking the masks uh, off. On the ongoing saga of people with medical cards trying to access a dentist. God, we've been talking about this now for a number of year- years. David said, Patricia, there's no dentist in Mitchell's 
Queenstown treating medical card patients. This has been going ongoing now, David says, for a while. There are two dentists in Formoy who are doing their very best. They are chewing so much work between their own private patients, plus all of the medical card holders in their own town and also people travelling from Mitchestown to uh, Formoy. You do have to wait two months to get an appoint- appointment. All of the dentists in Mitchestown are now refusing to see medical card holders. Can you please highlight this on your programme? Well, it's an issue. It isn't just Mitchestown. It's an issue we've been highlighting. We've been speaking with the Dental Association for quite some time on this. It's That's a system that's broken and has to be fixed. Dentists who work who do accept medical care patients are working under a very, very old scheme and there has been a fight going on between the Dental Association and the Department of Health for many, many years now and because it isn't been solved, it's the reason that many dentists are opting out of the medical card scheme and they're just sticking with their own private uh, patients and that's of no use to David or to others who need to access uh, a dentist, unfortunately. But it is it is something we have spoken about before, David, on the programme and it certainly is an ongoing issue. And thank you to Madge who just wants me to do that, put a shout out on a scam text message that's doing the rounds at the moment. It's the one from... Permanent TSB. Madge said she knew straight away it was a scam. Why? Because she doesn't even have a permanent TSB account. But it could catch out somebody who does have a permanent TSB account. So please be mindful of that. Irish Water have been back to us about the Kilavolan water supply. And we asked them this morning on behalf of some people in the Kilavolan area, could they please give the good people of Kilavolan a timeline as to when they expect the 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 end of the boil water notice and also what work are they currently doing. So they'll be back on to us and in the usual they explain why they put it in place um, and the and they had to shut it down and they're continuing along with Cork County Council working to rectify the issues. They say they're working at the moment with a view to lifting the notice as quickly and as safely as possible. Irish Water and Cork County Council are implementing, they say, short-term works to improve the reliability of the supply as well as developing longer term plans for supply in the Kilavolan area. Now we asked Irish Water again if they had a timeline or not and they've come back and said it's hard for Irish Water to put a time frame on any boil water notice due to the complexity of the work. So they basically don't know when the boil water notice is going to be lifted but they're working on both short-term works to try to improve the reliability of the water and then there's a longer-term project going on as well. So unfortunately, I don't have good news for the people of Kilavolan in that I can't tell you when the boil water notice is going to be lifted. All I can tell you is it remains in place. So please continue to boil your water if you are getting your water from the Kilavolan public water supply. But a bit of good news for the people who are on to us about grass cutting and when was the council going to start cutting grass eh, both in council estates and other areas where the council cut the grass with people saying there's been little or no grass cutting done this year. And I don't know, I'd have to get this confirmed or denied by Cork County Council, I don't know if it was to do with this 
project that environmentalists certainly were pushing for and they were asking everybody not to cut their grass during the month of May and that was to give something the bee population a chance and this whole notion of letting areas rewild and not cutting the grass at all. But there certainly was a campaign for everybody not to cut the grass in May. So I don't know if that's what the council were at or not. But Cork County Council have been back to us to say the contractors now have been appointed by Cork County Council for grass cutting. Works have started and they're ongoing at present. So they should, if you normally have your grass cut by Cork County Council, the contractors should get to you at some stage. They have started the work. And Margaret was on when she heard us talk about speed bumps and we had a listener asking about speed bumps in Formoy in particular, this listener was asking about and why don't we have uniformity and why are not all speed bumps the same height because some are higher than others. And Margaret says, oh my God, please, Patricia, don't get me started about speed bumps. I was only in third gear. I was in Castle Lines. I didn't see the speed bump up ahead because there was a strong sun shining in my face. I thought I was up in the air for a second. I was just worried about my lovely little car and how it might be damaged, says uh, Margaret. And you can get a fright if you suddenly hit on a speed bump if you're in an area that you don't know where the speed bump uh, is. Uh, Hopefully your car wasn't damaged, uh, Margaret. And then on the rising cost of oil and fuel and we were asking people to keep an eye on petrol and diesel at your local garage and let us know if you're seeing increases and I wait for the day that we've people ringing in saying it's decreasing. Uh, June said she'd go get petrol this morning in Ballincollig. It was €2.11.9 in Ballincollig this morning. And Michael says, Patricia, oil price today on the world market is at $119 a barrel and yet petrol in this country is over €2 and can I say well over €2 in some areas uh, Michael. In June of 2008 the price of a barrel of oil on the world market was at $133 where it's $119 today. At that time the price of a litre of petrol was at €1.19 almost half the price it is today. What's going on says our Michael. Presently the euro is nearly on par with the dollar. It's roughly $1.05 to €1.06. So it can't be explained away by uh, currency. Well if you dig into why it's so expensive the crisis in Ukraine has got a lot uh, to do with it. That's adding to it as well. Is there price gorging going on? You would hate to think that there's any price gorging going on particularly with inflation rising all the time but people are suspicious that uh, there's a bit of price gorging going on uh, too. Thank you for your texts and your calls. Texts coming into 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs Taking a look at some of the vacancies on offer today, let's start with a qualified hairstylist and a fully qualified beauty therapist. Both wanted for Jessie's hair and beauty there in Bantry. CVs please to Hurley at yahoo.com. Full-time office slash accounts assistant is required. That's for work in the Mill Street area. CVs to Mill Street office 2022 at gmail.com Longerville House Hotel in Mallow are looking for an experienced part-time housekeeping assistant and experienced restaurant waiting staff CVs please to info at longervillehouse.ie and a shuttering carpenter is wanted 
for Ringeskiddy and industrial electricians are required for Cork City and County. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You need to go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now in March of this year, the government announced that people will be charged a 20 cent levy on every disposable coffee cup with the Minister of State for the Circular Economy, Oshin Smith, saying the measure would be similar to the plastic bag levy, which would you believe was introduced 20 years ago. And he hopes to have the charge in place by the end of this year. Retailers say the government needs to rethink this proposal. And to explain why, I'm joined by Duncan Graham, who's Managing Director with Retail Excellence Ireland. Good morning to you, Duncan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, the government wants to reduce, they estimate, 200 million cups that are dumped every year. But you say it's sending the wrong message on sustainability. Can you explain why? Yeah, look, I think the first thing I'd say to you is that um, we did a survey of retailers recently and 80% of them said it was important for their business to become more sustainable. So this is not around retailers pushing against the sustainability agenda in any way. But I think what we have to do is look at some of the unintended consequences that could uh, come out of this circular economy bill. So as you said, the bill allows for a levy of at minimum 20 cents to be placed on the price of items being sold in paper-based containers. So this is the the single cups, if you like, single-use cups. And this is a minimum of 20 cents that could end up then moving to 50 cents, uh, and then within a year could end up moving to a euro. That's the scope of the bill. It could be up to a euro. So that's, you know, potentially a euro on the price of a coffee at a time when we've already seen a massive spike in price in terms of ingredients, in terms of the cost of doing business. So clearly the issue that we have is that, you know, this is putting enormous pressure on particularly family-owned coffee shops and so on. And, you know, it's simply not sustainable in the long run for those businesses to be viable if they're taking that sort of cost. And we think there are alternatives. And the biggest alternative is that seems to not be considered by this bill is that of recycling. Um, Recycling has not been put on the agenda. And we believe that's the sort of route that um, the government should be looking at, as well as the whole reuse area. Yeah, because certainly for the last, I would say, couple of years, any time I've bought a takeaway coffee, they're all biodegradable, the cups. Yeah, that's it. And, and, you know, if if you've got a coffee cup in front of you at the moment, have a look at it and see. You'll find there's probably a small trace of plastic in some of those coffee cups, obviously the lining to make sure that things don't seep through and so on. But it is small. And and the, the point about this is, you know, there's a lot of probably your listeners that, are, that are, uh, are tuning in today that have bought a coffee on their way into work maybe this morning, that if we started to go down the route of putting, you know, uh, a recycling box purely and simply for coffee cups and, and single-use items in workplaces and, and segregated and sorted that waste effectively, those products would be very easily recycled. You know, the, the, the alternative is we move to potentially cheap plastic cups and not everybody's going to buy the you know the keep cup and not everybody walks into a place with a keep cup when you when you want coffee you haven't always got that keep cup with you so you know we'll end up potentially with cheap plastic cups replacing paper cups and those plastic cups will end up in landfill and we all know the consequences of 
trying to biodegrade plastic over time. It just won't happen. So yeah, I would say that, that that's one of the issues I have with the majority of the keep cups that I've uh, spotted. Now, I do have one that, funnily enough, I, I purchased when I was in Australia and it's a glass one. But the majority of keep cups on sale here are hard plastic. They are. And, and, you know, when you're bringing those hard plastic keep cups and handing them over to the barista behind the, ca- the counter to fill up, invariably they need to wash that cup out. And there's a, there's a study in Denmark, actually, that said that there's nearly four times more water that will be used in this situation, um, and will, will, you know, will be generated and, and used. And, and also we'll be adding three times more carbon uh, than if we uh, stick with uh, a biodegradable cup in the long run. So, you know, that's the sort of implications. And, and really what we're saying to government is this bill doesn't feel as though it's been well enough thought through. It was something that was uh, was looking as though it was, it was coming to fruition before the pandemic. And obviously then it was put on hold. It's been brought back out this year. And, you know, we think that the government should pause and just look at some of the alternatives. We're not against sustainability uh, in any way whatsoever. We're very pro that. But we do think it needs to be uh, re-looked at. Yeah, and then, of course, it's going to be remembering to bring your, your, your reusable cup uh, with you. But, you know, I suppose the argument there is we got used to the reusable shopping bags. We did, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit different. You know, if you think about it, we got rid of plastic in that case. But what did we replace it with? Yes, we replaced it with um, reusable bags. But we also replaced it with paper. And that's actually what we're talking about here is, you know, let's stick with the paper. Let's make the paper, the paper coffee cup, much more biodegradable. Let's look at, you know, there are compostable coffee cups on the market. Why aren't we using those compostable coffee cups? Why do we feel it's always the right thing to, to, to be take the punitive measure as far as business is concerned and start taxing uh, to change behavior? And there's a UK study that said that, you know, 6% of people might, use, might move to, to using a keep cup whereas, you know, a further 8% would choose not to buy at all. And that's the problem that we face, that this is going to have a punitive impact on business at a time when there are alternative solutions that could be examined. Yeah, Jack, one of our listeners, is fearful that this 20-cent levy will increase, just like the plastic bag levy. Jack says, Patricia, remember when the plastic bag levy first came in, uh, twi- I, I, I'm, I still find it hard to believe the plastic bag levy is in some 20 years. It was just a few cents at the start, but it's quickly risen. It's now at about 70 cents a bag. But you, you say it could actually go as high as a euro. Well, the, the, the law actually allows for it to move between 20 cents and a euro. Oh, like um, a euro is a lot. Yeah, and the, the Green the Green Party have said that they would, you know, ultimately their desire is to eliminate paper cups from from circulation, you know, in its entirety. You know, when you when you start looking at a point where you, you look at your cappuccino in the morning, and it's we know that it's gone from somewhere in the region of three fifty last year to four euro plus this year, and then you start adding another euro on top of that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at the cappuccino being the same price as your pint in the evening. That's, that's a very salutary experience, I, su- I suggest, for most people. And, and we think that that's when we should start to draw the line and just uh, examine whether we think this is the intended consequence or not. And, Duncan, with the soaring costs of doing business, businesses will have no choice but to pass on the 20 cent. I mean, there's no way that they can take the hit on the 20 cent. It would be impossible, wouldn't it, at the moment? Yeah, look, I, I think what you're finding out there is, you know, most people have, most retailers across not just coffee shops, but everywhere have, have tried 
there as much as they can to keep a lid on on prices. But it's inevitable that things are now starting to filter through. We've seen it, you know, the conversations that have taken place uh, around around just basic food items uh, over the last um, few months. Um, but it's inevitable that, that is starting to filter through. And, you know, it, it, there is a significant impact in terms of the cost of doing business, both with the cost of ingredients. And, of course, you know, it's not as if we get coffee from France or, to, or Italy. You know, this coffee is traveling a long distance to get to Ireland. Um, and, you know, inevitably that's the impact of, of energy prices and all of that sort of thing going into that. And, um, you know, those those costs have to be passed on, unfortunately. There's, there's just no way around it for, for retailers at this stage. Okay, and Rory in Formoy says, will, will cafes and shops that offer coffee, will they have facilities available to wash your keep cups? Well, that's, again, another interesting um, point. Uh, some will and some won't. You know, again, if you look at what's happened during the pandemic, there were a lot of these um, uh, you know, one-off coffee shops that appeared in the corners of pub car parks and things, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the thing. Clearly, they don't have the infrastructure. Uh, they were providing a fantastic service during COVID. Um, they don't have that sort of infrastructure. And, you know, it's not just uh, uh, those coffee shops that do have the opportunity to, to provide washing facilities. It's the whole operation of, you know, if, you, if you've got a high footfall uh, coffee shop, it's the whole operation of how you, you do wash that cup out and replace it and give it back. And a, a lot of the coffee shop owners are a bit concerned still around the whole bit of somebody handing a, a dirty coffee cup over the counter and the implications that has uh, in a post-COVID environment for the person that has to clean it. OK. And is it a fait accompli? I mean, is this coming in at the end of the year? Well, that's where it's headed. It's gone through the Doyle. I believe it's gone into the Shannard, uh as we speak. Um, but, you know, we, we, all we want, we're not, we're not saying we're completely against the circular economy bill in any way. What we want is a pause and a, consi- a consideration of the alternatives. And that's really what we'd like, certainly the senators now, to, to start looking at and, and questioning. And just, you know, are we doing the right thing here? Uh, the way things are, are looking, this is heading uh, into becoming law towards the end of the year. Um, but we would like this to be paused and just reconsidered and alternative suggestions to be put forward. OK. All right. Uh, listen, Duncan, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Duncan Graham, who is Managing Director with Retail Excellent uh, Ireland. Worried about this 20 cent levy on every disposable coffee cup and then has a different view. She says, good morning. Totally disagree. I live in the countryside. I'm sick of picking up coffee cups at the side of the road. These are the ones... People to get their tea, their coffee, their hot chocolate, whatever it is, drink it in their car, roll down the window and then toss it out when they are finished. It's up to the individual to take these uh, home. I always take my rubbish home with me when I am out, uh, Condra Gardens, and that's from Anne. And Anne, I take it if we were to open the phone lines and ask any of the wonderful Tidy Towns volunteers that are dotted across Cork City and County, they will agree with you when they go out to do their cleanups, particularly on the roads leading into towns and uh, villages. And you'll find now when hedges are cut back and grassy, grassy areas are cut back, 
the amount of people who just toss. The mentality behind it, I can't understand how you'd drink your cup of coffee and then you'd roll down the window and just toss the coffee cup out. I mean, all you have to do, you have to have it. I mean, if you're driving or if you're a passenger in a car, that normally all of our cars now have a place for holding your coffee cup, which you'd put it in after you buy it and you'll drink your coffee as you're going along, either driving or being driven somewhere. Why you can't just leave the empty coffee cup there until you get home or you're, if you're on a long journey at your next stop and dispose of it there. I can't understand that uh, logic at all. And that, of course, would be one of the reasons also uh, that the government want to introduce this 20 cent uh, disposable coffee cup levy because they reckon there's 200 million cups are dumped every year. But Duncan Graham of Excellence, Retail Excellence, is saying we need to look at it another way. Is there a way that they could be fully recycled? And if there is a way they could be fully recycled, that would be great. But that won't solve Anne's problem or the problem of the Tidy Towns group who have to go out and the irresponsible people who, regardless of whether the coffee cup is recyclable, biodegradable or not, they'll just toss it out the window. Thank you for your text and 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Band and Garda Station, where I'm joined by Garda Francis Murphy uh, for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Patricia. And we want to start with uh, fraud and economic crime. And again, early this morning, one of my first texts in was from somebody who quickly spotted that the text message they got in was a scam purporting to be for permanent TSB but she knew it was a scam because she doesn't even have a permanent uh, TSB account so she straight away knew it was a scam. But this type of fraud and economic crime, it just seems to be increasing all the time. It is Patricia, there's no one to it's it's getting more and more frequent and as you said that lady that called you in um, you know, I Myself last week got a, a message from TSB again in relation to my account being frozen. And again, I don't have an account. So it's just random numbers that they're, you know, taking advantage of and hoping that they'll get success. But it is, it's it's a huge growing problem. Um, and you have an example of somebody, a lady that you dealt with uh, recently in West Cork. Yeah, Patricia, just, you know, I suppose everyone is has so many apps on their phones now and sometimes we don't pay as much attention. So there's just this one incident that I pulled out just to to show how easy it is to get caught. There was a lady in West Cork, um, she received a WhatsApp message from her son and it basically just, in the message, said, Hi Mum, can you put some money in my account? Um, His phone was damaged and he couldn't use his app for banking reasons because of his phone being broken so she agreed to do this and she transferred money a few different transactions to his account a total of uh, two and a half thousand euros she spoke with her son later that day and realized it wasn't him sending her the whatsapp messages so it just you know just be extra vigilant when it comes to anything like this now she did manage to cancelled two of the transactions in the end, but she was still down €735 out of her own pocket that she couldn't retrieve. So, if you get a message like that, what you need to do is 
ring your son, your daughter, whoever the person is purporting to be to check that it is because that does there are scenarios like that where a son or a daughter will contact their parent and need money to be transferred but you need to make absolutely sure that the person that you are interacting with is actually your son or daughter Yeah it's, it's a sad state of affair it's gone to that but unfortunately they're so up to date now with all these scams it's, it's just better to always just you know contact your son or daughter or family member or whoever just to be double sure that it is them and again you know don't you know give any personal information to anyone you know when it comes to unwanted calls if you're getting phone calls that you don't want to receive from Amazon or whoever just block the number on your own personal device and then any texts like that one that the, our listener was talking about from Permanent TSB, any texts like that that you get in, do not click on any of the links. No, do not click. We can't stress it enough. Do not click. You know, make contact with your bank or your post office or let it be on post, whatever relevant organisation. But if you do receive a message like that from TSB, from AIB, whoever, and you don't have an account with them, you know, just delete it. Don't even open up the message. Mm. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, I woke up one Saturday morning to a message from the bank saying my my credit card had been compromised and asking me to ring a, a number. Didn't look like the standard scam text that I had received. So I checked the number to make sure that it was a genuine number for, for my bank and it turned out it was and then I was able to interact with somebody and it turned out my card had been unfortunately um, skimmed at some at some stage but we were able to get it uh, sorted out but I, but I straight away double checked that I was actually interacting with the correct person. Yeah, that's so important because you know people are getting messages from on post your delivery is being you know, your parcel has been delivered. They look so legit. Like, it's it's just so hard to know what is and what isn't genuine. So don't take the chance. Just double check it before you go clicking anything or replying to anyone. And just because I can see I'm now getting in a flood of texts in from people saying, yeah, I got that text. I've had a text yesterday or I've had a, a call from somewhere else. Just to allay people's fears, they're not being personally targeted. These numbers, they just randomly, it's computers, randomly generate these phone numbers. That's correct, Patricia. I mean, I even got one on my work phone a few weeks ago from TSV as well. Yeah. And, um, and, and a guard the work phone. So they, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't know so who, who they're not they're targeting anyone. It's just random numbers that they're ringing. Yeah, but just know. be very careful because they certainly are on the increase at the moment. Okay, yeah. we're also into June uh, summer season. You wouldn't know looking out the window at the weather at the moment, but summer holidays. Uh, Secondary schools have broken up. There's primary schools are due to break up soon. There will be vacant houses during the summer months. Yeah, uh, Patricia, and I suppose this year more than other years, you know, COVID hopefully is coming to an end in in ways and people are taking advantage. You know, schools are over now for a lot of people. Uh, families will be going on holidays away for long weekends. We're just trying to advise people, you know, to make sure that their premises, their house, commercial premises are secure and safe while they're away. So things like lock all the doors, if you've got a light, put it on a timer. Yeah, that's the advice we'd give to people would be, you know, just set some timers that will come on random times day and night to make sure that it looks like the house is occupied. You know, lock your doors and windows. 
don't leave any opportunities there open for anyone. Um, if you do have a house alarm or a commercial alarm, set it. It's amazing the amount of people that have them and don't use them. Uh, don't leave any spare keys. People still leave the keys under the pots, under the mat. You know, it's a no-no. Just yeah. if you want to leave a key with a neighbour or a friend, fair enough. But don't leave any in the vicinity of your premises. Um, don't believe in cash in your home. You know, let neighbours and friends know if you are going to be away so they can keep an eye on the premises. Uh, the other thing I would say to people is, you know, there's absolutely no problem contacting your local guardie if you are going to be away, if your house is going to be vacant. Um, we had a local wedding here in Bandon last week. You know, one of the family contacted myself. I didn't pass it on to the working units that a lot of the houses in the locality would be vacant for the whole day Saturday going into Sunday. And, you know, we can do mobile patrols in, in that brilliant, area. Brilliant, yeah. And your neighbours are great. Let your neighbours know and, you know, and then you can reciprocate it when your neighbour goes away by keeping an eye on their uh, their property. And, you know, that was great what they did with the with the weddings. Cause we've seen it with funerals. And I always think it's the lowest of the low when when houses get targeted when a funeral is on. And it is. And unfortunately, like the information is up there on social media, RIP.ie, what the arrangements are. And it's an awful low thing to do. But unfortunately, some people have no morals and yeah, would take you know, advantage. Yeah, they're dreadful. Yeah, dreadful. And the, you've got the European Focus Day on burglary prevention. That's taking place next Wednesday. Yes, uh, Patricia, the, the European Focus Day on burglary prevention is taking place Wednesday the 15th of June. Um, basically, it's just to give people some advice on prevention of burglaries. Um, if anyone wants to go to www.garda.ie, they will get plenty of advice on burglary prevention. Um, and it's just trying to make people aware, you know, of different aspects like home security, vacant houses, you know, social media. If you're going on holidays, not to be posting your status up on your Facebook page, etc. while you're away. Just different information there, um, you know, to cover your garden and your landscaping. Just different, yeah. you know. Make it as difficult as possible for these criminals. That's, exactly, that, not to make it easier for yeah. them. And just a lot of it is, you know, stuff we're already doing, but it's just to kind of refresh us. So if anyone is in, interested, I would advise them go to the the www.garda.ie okay. and they'll get loads of tips there and advice. Okay, and this is also the time of the year when we see an increase in break-ins to vehicles, particularly in like scenic areas or areas where people go for walks. Yeah, not so much at the moment. We've only had two in the last three weeks. Uh, one was in the Novel area here uh, where, again, items were left on display in the car. The passenger's window was smashed and there was a large number of items removed, you know, while the owner was at the beach. Um, something similar in Baltimore. This involved a tent. Somebody was camping down there for the weekend, went off for a walk into the village, left all their belongings in the tent unlocked. And when they returned, there was a lot of electrical items and that removed um, from the tent. And, you know, unfortunately, no CCTV. There's not much we can do. So I would say to anyone, camping, caravans, whatever, you know, keep them locked up, 
if you can, keep them locked up in the case of a tent, you know, take your personal belongings. Don't leave, you. don't leave anything of uh, value. And that's really important when you're parking up a car, you know, make sure it's in a well-lit area if, if it's at night, but just leave nothing of value in the car that even if, unfortunately, a window gets smashed, at least they're not going to get away with anything inside in the car. Yeah, and I mean, they're looking into the car. If there's nothing visible to be seen, it's not encouraging them to break a window. It's just... If they look in and they see items on the back seat or on the footwell of the car, you know, it's temptation. So, you know, leave things at home. And if you can't leave it at home, pull in somewhere, pull everything into the boot before you get to your destination. Yeah. Okay, and unfortunately, I mentioned it after the bank holiday. We it was very sad from a road traffic point of road deaths over the bank holiday weekend. I think seven lives lost, and some of them actually were motorcyclists. I remember the one in, on the M50 was two visitors to the area from from the UK. Two motorcyclists were killed. There is a national operation to try to keep everybody on motorcyclists safe. Yes, Patricia. Unfortunately, there are way too many fatalities and serious injuries. So there's a national operation. It's for engagement with motorcyclists to assist in reducing fatal and serious injury collisions involving motorcycles. Um, I suppose just some of the key messages that we're trying to get out there to motorcyclists for their safety and other road users. You know, this year so far... There's been 17 motorcyclists killed. Oh, that's tragic. You know, that's over one in four of all road deaths. Um, we're asking them to maybe ease off on the throttle a bit. You know, speeding is a huge factor. I think over a third of motorcyclist uh, fatalities were speed involved. Um, maybe, you know, reduce your vulnerability by, you know, maybe wearing personal protective equipment and high-vis clothing just to make yourself more visible uh, to the other road users. And I suppose just the other thing is to, you know, check your motorbike for safety, you know, check that you have oil, you know, water, petrol, that the electrics are working, that your tyres are good, that there's no visible damage, that it's safe to be on the road. Yeah, because if you come into an accident with a, a car or a truck, it's the, the most vulnerable person is the person sitting on the motorbike. So let's try and keep everybody as safe as uh, possible. And, and that's it. That's, yeah, that's the, the message. That's the moral. We just want to keep everyone safe as much as we can. OK, and the Leaving Cert and Junior Cert officially kicked off yesterday. Yes. <laughs> um, a lot of students now have two or three weeks ahead of them. I suppose on behalf of Angarda Shikana, I'd just like to wish each and every student doing the Leaving Cert, doing the Junior Cert, the very best of luck. It's been tough two years. COVID has a lot to answer for. You know, it's been a struggle for a lot of students working from home, schooling from home. So I would just like to sincerely wish them all the very best of luck and whatever they decide to do in their future. And and do you remember your own anxiety around your own leaving cert? I do, very <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I, I, I only mentioned this yesterday. I can still get that feeling in the pit of my stomach that first morning. Um, it was great to get the first morning underway for the students yesterday. Yeah, and I think that is the case with a lot of people. Once the first day is out of the way, yeah. it's kind of yeah. tick the days, you know. And, you know, that's all they can do. Take every day as it comes and not to get too stressed and... Yeah. 
And we all look back on it now and wonder why we were all so anxious about it. And the young students will do the same thing in yeah. years to come. Listen, um, Francis, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. Thanks Good morning to you. Bye bye. That thank is Garda Francis uh, Murphy, who is based in Bandingard, the station. Actually, here's a good tip when we're talking about yeah, vacant houses if you're going away and you're leaving your house empty. A listener says, organise for your next door neighbour to park their car in your driveway when you're away on holidays. We do that. If the neighbour has two cars, get them to put one car into your driveway. That's good and it makes the house uh, look a little bit more lived in. That's a good tip. Thank you for that to 0862103103. A break. News at 12 midday. If you've got a pet question, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in the next hour. You can get those in either by text or WhatsApp or you can call John Paul 0818103103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. All this week, we've teamed up with Foot Foot Solutions. Proud to be celebrating 15 years in Cork. Free your feet. The rest will follow. We have a €150 Foot Solutions gift card to give away today. We've been playing a clip of an event that took place sometime during the last 15 years. Take a listen to today's event. It's Julia White. It looks like she has won the All-Ireland for Cork. They lead by 10 points to 9. What excitement. Surely the whistle must sound. Surely it's over. He looks at the watch. He puts the whistle in the mouth. He's blown the whistle. And Cork have won back the O'Duffy Cup. And there is sunshine in September in Cork Park for Cork. Now, that is our own C103's John Cashman commentating at the end of a match. What sport was being played on that day? It was back in 2017. What sport was being played uh, when John Cashman was commentating? It's Julia White. It looks like she has won the All-Ireland for Cork. They lead by 10 points to 9. What excitement. Surely the whistle must sound. Surely it's over. He looks at the watch. He puts the whistle in the mouth. He's blown the whistle. And Cork have won back the O'Duffy Cup. And there is sunshine in September in Cork Park for Cork. Okay, the excitement of it on the day. I remember it well. It was actually 2017. So get texting or WhatsApping with your answer. What sport was John Cashman commentating on on that date in 2017? Text or WhatsApp 86 103 103 to be in with a chance today of winning a €150 foot solutions gift card. Texting and WhatsApping, we'll leave it open for about uh, 10 minutes. Now, let me take a look at some of your texts coming in. We were speaking in the last hour uh, with uh, Garda Francis about 
different scams doing the rounds at the moment. Of course, a flurry of texts in from people, particularly to do with the scam texts purporting to be from permanent TSB. Number of people on saying the very same thing that Madge had said when I mentioned this earlier this morning. Got that text, but I don't have an account of permanent TSB. So people straight away can see that's a scam. But it's for the people that do have an account with permanent TSB that might click on the link. And Michael says, how are you doing, Patricia? I had the permanent TSB scam and also an on-post package charge scam. I've had them twice in the last week or so. We seem to be getting more and more of them. And that's what Garda Francis was saying and that it does seem to be happening. People are starting to notice there's a run on them at the moment. Don't know why, don't know what the explanation for that is. But of course, they're sending out more and more of these scam texts. It could be because they're not being as successful and that they need to send out more texts and emails and calls in the hope of trying to con people. But then listening to Francis talk about the poor woman in in West Cork and she handing over two and a half thousand of her hard earned cash thinking that she was sending it on to her son's bank account and of course she, it was nothing could be further from the truth to so just be so so careful. We were talking about the single use coffee cup and this latte lev- levy of 20 cents that the government are hoping to bring in at the end of the year and that led to people some people agreeing with it because the amount of rubbish that's dumped out of cars particularly the single use uh, coffee cup and a new market said the rubbish on the island road in the new market area from takeaways things like large pizza boxes chip cartons the people who buy these products from the takeaways eating them in the car and then rolling down the window and dumping it out they won't bring their rubbish home with them well shame on and I don't think all the levies in the world unless you ban them completely but how are you going to ban pizza boxes and how are you going to ban uh, chip cartons we just have to get into people's psyche about bringing their rubbish home with them how we do that I don't know uh, because and that's been an issue that seems to again have gotten worse in the last number of years people just not being responsible when it comes to bringing the rubbish home uh, with them and there was a text in earlier from Theo Park where is it gone it's there saying Patricia would you please uh, announce that PJ uh, PJ Murrahy is playing for with for dancing in Theo Park tomorrow night Friday starts at half past night admission is 10 euro and there will be a free raffle all are welcome to attend glad to give that a mention for you on uh, WhatsApp this is to do uh, with no I've lost that one uh, you know I've done that one already um, OK let me go to some of your calls into the programme today. Grass cutting. We spoke about grass cutting earlier because I mentioned that we'd get on to Cork County Council because people are complaining that this is in areas where Cork County Council normally cut the grass. There seems to be no grass cutting going on this year. So we get on to Cork County Council who tell us today that contractors have been appointed by Cork County Council for grass cutting and works have already started and they're ongoing at present. So if your grass in your green area is normally cut by Cork County Council, you can expect contractors to arrive in the coming days and weeks. That led to John in Cove contacting us to say in a in former owned council estates in the Cove area, a lot of the houses now were bought out from the council. So therefore they are privately uh, owned. Because of that, the council stopped cutting the grass in those council estates former council estates and it's the residents now have to all chip in and hire a private contractor to come in and cut the grass. If any of these residents though, says John, decided to go out onto that green area and build a shed on that patch of grass, 
The residents wouldn't be long finding out who owns the patch of land in Cove, yet they're expected to maintain and cut the grass on it. And he said in the East End area of Cove Town, the council haven't come anywhere near the housing areas there. He says it's the Belmount Place area and the surrounding areas of the state have almost all been forgotten about. John has a theory. It's because they're out of the public view and he reckons that's why they haven't been maintained. I I don't think that's the reason. I think it's been, I don't know whether it's a conscious decision by Cork County Council not to cut the grass, whether they were leaving it for the month of May, but certainly the contractors now have been employed. So if, if, if now this is just for areas it's normally cut by the council because there's a lot of housing estates where the local people, that's been going on for a number of years. The council stopped cutting the grass areas and residents have to get together and pay to have the grass cut uh, themselves. And I know there's grants you can get as well and many residents association get the grants towards the cost of getting your grass uh, cut. On fuel prices, Michael says, I can't, I can't work from home. Now, this is the argument that's been put forward and I mentioned this yesterday that some uh, environmentalists are saying it and some Green Party TDs uh, are saying it and even people like the Irish motor industry are saying to people as a way of saving money on the high cost of fuel one thing you can do is to do less driving and if you can work from home you'll save on money. Michael says well I'd love the option of working from home but I work in construction so I'm not able to work from home. Michael says it is costing him €150 for a week and a half just to go to and from work. Now that's on top he said of all of the other bills he has to pay. He's got his mortgage repayment, he'll have his electricity costs, he'll have his heating costs before he even decides to put food on the table. Michael says there's times when he's driving to work, particularly if he has to fill up the car with petrol or diesel where he's starting to think would he be better off on the dole. Oh, and it's awful that anyone thinks that they're going to work and they're making nothing at the end of the day because everybody, everything is going up in uh, price on on just staying on the cost of oil. This is from Mossy in West Cork. Mossy says, Patricia, the OPEC oil barons are greedy. What with driving inflation through the stratosphere for the pharmaceutical and medical industry... Massey fields are equally as greedy as the oil barons. The pharmaceutical and medical industry are charging through the nose for medication, medical drugs and our consultation when people are at their most vulnerable. That's where people seem to be taken advantage of. How wrong is uh, that? Thanking you, that is. And that's a, a sad statement that it's when people are at their most vulnerable that people are going to be then... Uh, price gorged and more money is looked for from them. Thank you for your text uh, Massey Keane on email when we were talking about drugs earlier on and we were talking about there's an increase in cocaine usage amongst 15 to 24 year olds in particular uh, Keane said drugs and and our cocaine is a, they're available in every single town. Keane reckons that many young people take them. Why? When you don't end up with a hangover if you're just on cocaine you also won't gain weight but the young people don't know the long-term consequences and that is the real, real danger. Even though listening to Mike Gearan from a drug addiction point of view, he reckons that particularly people that are taking cocaine, they're mixing it with alcohol and they take the cocaine so that they can drink more and that's leading to excessive drinking and binge drinking and that's where many of them, the hundred and, what was it, 171% increase in people ending up in hospital from cocaine use. But a lot of that is the cocaine mixed with 
with alcohol is causing the problem. So I don't keen think that they necessarily just take cocaine. If they're taking cocaine, it's usually mixed with alcohol as well. And that's when you get into all kinds of problems. But it's just the availability of it. I don't think we've ever seen anything like the availability of cocaine at the moment. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. We're also looking for your pet questions. You can get those into John Paul as well. 0818103103. Or you can text or WhatsApp them because we'll close off our text or WhatsApp for our competition for foot solutions because I see we have our winner for today. The clip that I play. It's Julia White. It looks like she has won the All-Ireland for Cork. They lead by 10 points to 9. What excitement. Surely the whistle must sound. Surely it's over. He looks at the watch. He puts the whistle in the mouth. He's blown the whistle. And Cork have won back the O'Duffy Cup. And, and there is sunshine in September in Cork Park. And Cork. there was sunshine in September for sure. And that was a very, very exciting All-Ireland camogie final where Cork bet Kilkenny by that one single point as you heard John Cashman our C103 commentator on the day report uh, winning the winning margin 10 points to 9 points so it was Camogie was the answer we were looking for and our 150 euro foot solutions gift voucher today is going to Rose Hickey in Cloyne. Congratulations, Rose Hickey in uh, Cloyne. You've won a 150 euro foot solu- solutions gift voucher. One more of them to give away and we will do that tomorrow. Thanks to our good friends at Foot Solutions and they're celebrating 15 years in Cork. Free your feet and the rest will follow. And I've been asked to give a mention of a talk that's going on at Alihi's Copper Mine Museum and it's happening tonight at eight o'clock and it's on the Leadville Miners. It's a memorial talk about the Leadville Miners and it'll be given by Professor James Walsh of the University of Colorado in Denver. And I'm sure we mentioned Professor James Walsh in my recent chat with Terry Brennan. Terry Brennan is the sculpture and the guy responsible for this really, really incredible uh, memorial that's going to be installed in Leadville in uh, Colorado uh, later on this year but if you'd like to find out more about it because I know when we did the interview with Terry huge reaction to that interview because a lot of people didn't know the story of the poor miners who left the Alihis area when the copper mines closed down in Alihis and many of them got onto what at the time would have been coffin ships in the 1800s and set sail for America and they had a tough tough existence over there and unfortunately many of them died very very young and they're going to be remembered in this special uh, memorial that they are putting together in Leadville in Colorado so if you'd like to find out more about that then you can go along to Alihi's Copper Mine Museum tonight at 8 o'clock where you can hear more about the Leadville Miners uh, Memorial and also can I say congratulations to the gang at the Vale Star who have offices in Charleville and Mallow because this week 40 years ago they published the first ever Vale Star and actually the Vale Star this week they have a copy of the front page of the first Vale Star 40 years ago that's uh, terrific and it's a a paper that really has gone from strength to strength over the uh, 40 uh, years and uh, it is still the sales of it are still they're, they're still selling well each and every 
week and they have very very dedicated readers but it's 40 years going so congratulations to the gang at the Vale Star with offices in Charleville and in Mallow. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Lottery Draw that's taking place in the local community office 4 o'clock this afternoon. They have a jackpot of €3,800. Geraldine Lynch from McCroom who we spoke with yesterday. She's with McCroom Buffalo Farm. She's undertaking a €1,000 kilometre hike over the next six weeks. She's going from Ballycastle in County Antrim to Alleghies on the Bear Peninsula and she's appealing for donations to help raise funds for breakthrough cancer research. To donate, you can search for Antrim to Alleghies on idonate.ie. And Can Turk Tidy Towns Committee want to thank all the businesses and residents in the town for supporting their work and they're asking for continued support now that the judging season is upon us. Please take extra care of your own patch, pick up any litter, sweep the pavement in front of your uh, property. And please support your local hospice and home care service on Sunflower Days by donating to on-street volunteers who will be collecting tomorrow, Friday and again on Saturday. Or you can dedicate a sunflower in memory of a loved one by going online www.togetherforhospice.ie forward slash sunflower days. And bingo in Mallow GAA Complex is cancelled for tomorrow night and that is due to the death of Patricia O'Callaghan. May she rest in peace. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Just on this uh, issue of encouraging people, we've been encouraged by uh, TDs, by environmentalists, even by the Society for the Motor Industry to reduce our driving and to do less journeys on the road. And this would be a way to try to save us some money on our petrol and uh, diesel. One listener says, I can't understand why we're not doing more education from home like we did during the COVID pandemic and have home schooling. I know secondary schools and colleges are now closed for the summer, but the government and the environments, environmentalists are constantly on about people working from home and there's no push to get more young people to be homeschooled. And I don't know if every parent would agree with you about homeschooling. It obviously worked in your household. Not everybody is happy with the, uh, home uh, schooling. But then we had uh, the listener who was saying, I would love to be able to work from home, but I work in construction, so I have no choice. I have to go to work every day. Barry uh, joins me on this uh, issue. Um, good afternoon, Barry. Uh, good afternoon, Patricia. Yeah, you, um, you, you're, 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 you're speaking out on behalf of construction workers. Yeah, I would be, uh, because I, I just spoke there to John Paul and I said, uh, like, you have thousands of electricians, plumbers, builders, carpenters. Look, there, there's there's probably hundreds of thousands of them out there who are totally dependent, number one, on a van to carry all their gear, carry their tools, etc. And uh, they have no choice but to either drive petrol or diesel because I don't know, I don't think there's very little availability, if, if any at all, out there in vans uh, to be purchased, and if there are, they'd be exorbitant prices. So all these guys are being punished severely, and these are people who actually want to go to work. I believe myself, you know, that what's going to happen is they're going to be forced into a situation where they actually can't afford to go to work. 
Well, that was uh, the point that was made by Michael, one of our listeners. He's saying he's paying €150 Euro a week. He works in construction. It's now costing him €150 Euro a week just to get to and from work. And he's saying that's on top of all of his bills, his mortgage repayments. And he's starting to think, would he be better off on the dole? Yeah, and when you have a system like that in place where it's, um, where it's uh, more attractive, more attractive to go actually on the dole than go to work, which we already have in place in an awful lot of uh, areas in our workplace at the moment, uh, then you have a system that actually has failed, you know? Yeah, and God knows there are building sites and the construction industry are screaming out for workers. We don't have enough workers, so we need to be doing everything to make sure that the workers that are there stay there. And we're penalising them the whole time, as well as, like, you take all the food products on our shelves, they're all being transported between A and B, um, in big lorries that are all diesel-powered. There's very few uh, options out there either for those people that actually own those trucks. So, again, they have no option, but in actual fact, to put it onto the produce that they're delivering. Yeah, and I was reading yesterday, I don't know if it was the motor industry or it was the AA were saying to people when they're making journeys to lighten the load and have nothing heavy in the boot. But if, you, if you're if you a construction worker or you're a plumber or electrician, your van is full of all of your tools. So you, and you, can, you, you, and can't. you can't avoid it. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Something needs to be done uh, for sure. But it's a good point you made. You don't even have the alternative of going electri- electric if that was something that you wanted to do. OK, listen, Absolutely. thank you for that, Barry. Thanks uh, for joining us. And actually on electric, there is uh, a piece out today saying that more than one in five cars licensed this year. These are cars, not vans, where electric vehicles are plug-in hybrids. And it's that's double the amount that was sold for the first five months of last year. These are the figures just out from the Central Statistics Office. 21% of newly licensed vehicles were either fully electric or they were plug-in hybrids. And that's from January to uh, May, uh, while there was a 9% drop in people buying newly licensed diesel cars. There was 58,494 new private cars registered in this country and the breakdown was 7,825 fully electric and 4,613 were the plug-in hybrids. Now, I think we're we're still, I don't think we're anywhere near on target for what the Department of Transport and the Government's Climate Action Plan. Remember, the target is to have almost a million electric vehicles on the road by 2030. I don't think we're anywhere near that figure. Now, there are incentives for drivers to buy an electric uh, vehicle. There's incentives, for example, of up to uh, 10,000. There's the 600 euro SEAI home charger uh, grant. And of course, if you have the money and you're able to buy an electric car, you're in the lowest band when it comes to road tax. It's uh, only 120 euro per year. And obviously, if you are in a position to be able to buy a, an electric vehicle, uh, then you, you're obviously not worried about the rising cost of a diesel and uh, um, diesel and petrol. But for, for what Barry, the point Barry is making for the people who have to drive to work every day, that have to get up early in the morning, as Leo Varadka would say, and get out uh, to work every day, they don't have any choice if they're heading out to construction uh, sites and they certainly can't do 
any of that work from home. 0818103103. And just on a couple of scams and scam texts, a listener says, Hi Patricia, I recently had to return a parcel to the post office and within minutes of me arriving back home, I got a text stating that I owed €1.90 return fee. I knew that I had already paid this when I had made my online purchase, but I decided to check just to be sure, to be sure, checked my online purchase account straight away and just to relieve any doubt and to case to see if I did owe money, uh, but I didn't. So, but it is easy to get fooled by these scams. It's like the scammers are tracking your phone says this texter. Yeah, you see, and it's when, and that's probably just coincidence, but you would start getting suspicious and say, are they following me somehow on my phone? Uh, are they, how would they have known I'd just been to the post office? They certainly weren't following you to the post office, but was there some way that they knew the phone had been in a post office? More than likely, it's just a coincidence, but that's exactly how the scammers catch people out. They're hoping that they're going to land at just the right time. The text is going to land at just the right time. Or the text from, be it Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent TSB, that the text will arrive to a household that has a bank account with that particular bank. That's what they plan on. Uh, They're hoping. And all they need is a tiny percentage of people to click on the tens of thousands of texts that are sent out computer generated all they need is a very small percentage for them to make it day and just actually it's interesting thank you for that text it's interesting when you talk about the the fact that it was a parcel or that the scam had come purporting to be from Unpost somebody has sent me in this is from Unpost.com forward slash security to say in relation to receiving texts for an Unpost package Unpost will never send you a text message for extra fees. If you are owed any extra fees, then they'll put a slip in the post and either post it to you or drop it in your letterbox if there are any extra fees due. So completely ignore any text that you get purporting to be from Unpost saying you owe extra money because they do not send out text messages like that. Okay, if you have a pet question, now is the time. You can either call John Paul 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp me straight into the studio to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where our resident vet, Jane Pickett, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are welcome. Let me get straight into uh, questions. A listener has been on about their 11-year-old dog who has cancer. Unfortunately, it's a tumour pressing on his windpipe. We are giving him CBD oil and he's on steroids, but he's panting a lot. Is there anything else we could give to help with the breathing? He's eating and drinking okay and otherwise in good form. He's just panting a lot and I'm assuming that's because of the pressure of the tumour on the windpipe. Okay, so this is quite a difficult one. I'm so sorry to hear that your your dog is unwell. Cancer can be a really, really difficult diagnosis. Um, in our pets and I suppose the outcome of it is really really wide ranging depending on the type of cancer and how advanced it is so without knowing you know more details it's a little bit difficult but from what you're describing of that situation 
panting a lot, but still being otherwise in good form, eating and drinking and quite active, you know, eating and drinking and being active are, are good signs. And that means that your pet is more like more than likely has a good quality of life from the sounds of it. But the panting is obviously a concern. Now, there's a few different things that could be causing that. So he's on steroids as part of his management. Now, we do know that one side effect of steroids is they can pant a little bit whilst on that medication. And it's just a side effect of the medication. It's nothing too worrisome. So it could just be that. But given the location of the tumor, you, you kind of say that it's pressing on his windpipe. It may be a symptom that he is having a little bit more of trouble getting the air in given, given the location of the mass. Telling the difference between the two is a little bit difficult without a physical exam. So I'm sure that now that you have the diagnosis of cancer for your pet, I'm sure you've been working closely with your vet. So I think it will be best to attend your vet, let them know about the concerns with the panting and through a physical exam, they might be able to kind of discern whether it's most likely, uh, let's say, panting to do with the steroids, in which case, you know, that's part and parcel of it, or whether it is because we're struggling to, to breathe. In a lot of cases with cancer, sometimes there's treatments available depending on, let's say, the tumor type or how advanced the cancer is and a number of other factors, including kind of your pet's age, otherwise well-being. And in some cases, there's not or it's it's advanced. And in those cases, we, we generally do what's called palliative management. So that would be kind of pain relief and measures to keep their quality of life good and happy for as long as possible. So depending on the situation with your pet, you may just need to have a discussion with your vet surrounding you know, how your pet is managing day to day. It does sound like he's managing OK if he's eating, drinking and active. But obviously, the panting is a concern. And I think getting to the bottom of that with a, a physical exam from your your vet initially and they'd be able to guide you subsequent to that will be a good first step but I think certainly don't worry in silence I know you'll want to do everything you can to make your pet as comfortable as possible for as long as possible um, and I think a really good step would just be discussing your concerns with the vet so that they could just examine and try and figure it out for you. And uh, this is from, there's no name on this, I've got a female Jack Russell, 14 years of age, that's a fine age, is in good health. But lately, she seems to be constantly looking for additional food. Now, I have warmed her, but I'm wondering, could this increase in appetite be anything to do with her needing to be warmed again? She's fed twice a day, a mixture of dog nuts and dog food, and she does get the odd treat in between feeds. Could it be worms is causing an increase in appetite? Okay, so this is a really interesting one. We've got a pet that sounds like they're kind of in their latter years, but 14 is a great age. And if your pet's quality of life at that age is still good, they're still otherwise happy, then that's brilliant. So it's just keeping that pet as comfortable um, and kind of uh, enjoying the joys of life in their senior years is the aim of the game. So you've noticed a change here. An increase in appetite is a change. Now, it's usually less worrisome than the other way around so a decrease in appetite or going off their food but it is still a cause for concern it could just be something simple like there may be a worm burden and sometimes the pet can be a little bit more let's say um, keen to eat and they may lose some weight with that but sometimes it can be changes in um, the hormones so the hormone signaling in the body um, so some some kind of endocrine diseases so hormonal diseases can cause increases in appetite and there are things like um, underactive thyroid sometimes or overactive stress hormone so there are a few possibilities and um, what I would say is the really key thing we need to find out for this pet is are they having an increase in appetite with a stable weight? So they're not kind of with those extra calories they're taking on, they're not kind of gaining or maintaining weight. Or are they losing weight in spite of their kind of voracious and increased appetite? I think 
normally in senior pets I would recommend a check at least yearly with but ideally twice a year so a six monthly checkup because it allows us to assess these changes even if it is a change and increase in appetite which is as I say less worrisome than going the other way it is a change nonetheless that would require a little bit of discussion with your vet and possibly some blood tests just to rule out some underlying diseases that can be quite common in our senior patients and I think the best thing with with any changes in our pets is kind of not to bury our head in the sand so I think particularly with older pets having had older pets recently myself there is a temptation to kind of notice the change and kind of ignore it because you're worried it might be something bad now, what I will say is the earlier we detect problems with subtle signs, such as changes in appetite, as we see in this case, the earlier we can diagnose management. And then they generally it generally leads to better or more positive outcomes for your pet. So a better quality of life in their senior years. So although it is an increase in appetite, it's still a change and it still warrants a checkup with your vet. And they may just suggest something simple like repeating the worming. The common things are common and having worms is common. So it could well be something like that. But I think in a senior pet, best to exercise get it caution. checked. OK, somebody and I don't know why somebody wants to know this, but somebody wants to know, can a spot on flea product for a dog be used on a cat are they the same idea uh some some brands will use similar ingredients for dogs and cats some brands don't what i will say is the really important thing is a lot of the dosing will be very different so it's really important that we accurately dose our patients when we're using spot-on treatments so most of them will be available in weight ranges and that varies from brand to brand it could be something let's say two and a half to five kg five to ten kg ten to twenty and the dose of the product in those spot ins will be vastly different between the ones suitable for a small dog or cat um, to a, a larger patient. Now, some products that are spot ons are designed to be used in both dogs and cats, but some are not, and some ingredients are not to be mixed between the species. So, what I would say is that if it's not clear from the packaging that you have, bring it along to your vet, and your vet or vet nurse will be able to guide you as to whether it's a safe product to use. But I think the easiest way out of this is if you're wanting to get a spot on for your cat, it is probably best to just get. Okay. Um, species-specific one. Get a okay, cat. this is a timely one for this time of year for Tess. She has a collie sheepdog who she describes as having very curly hair. She got very hot during last summer. Is it possible to cut the hair on a collie sheepdog? Absolutely. And we would normally recommend the kind of regular grooming takes place in any kind of in anything but let's say the shortest haired of breeds. So kind of a collie, certainly if they have long enough hair to have curls within it and it sounds beautiful. Um, I would definitely recommend that they would have a little trim and a shape up before the summer months. So now will be a good time to do that. And that helps to it helps the skin health because obviously bathing is good. Not too often, but regularly, usually every two months or so. But it's also good because it means that all the, the dead hair and skin will be washed and exfoliated out. And that can be good longer term for their skin health as well as making sure that they don't overheat in the summer months. So yes, I, I think that that's a measure I'd recommend. And that's what the panting is about, isn't it? Is when they overheat, they start to pant. That's how they sweat yeah, almost. So, almost, yeah. So dogs and cats don't sweat in the classic way that we do. They can expel heat through their, their pads, but their main way of getting rid of heat is literally blowing it off through panting. Um, so panting is usually a sign that they're too hot, but it can actually be uh, present in other situations, for example, stress or excitement. So it's it's not always the temperature, but the most common thing is that it, they're, they're a little bit too hot. OK, before we head, in, head into this wonderful hot summer that we're all hoping to get, and now is the time to be thinking about that. OK, listen, thank you for that, Jane. Have a lovely week and uh, we'll chat next Thursday.
You too. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a million. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And great to see a text in from Sheila, who had been on to us a few weeks ago. She said she was tearing her hair out at the time, trying to renew her driving uh, licence. And we got on to the RSA at the time to see if we could be of any help to Sheila. They made an appointment for Sheila to go to Mallow. She's been on to us to say she went this morning. She now has her new renewed driving licence and she's legal again. And she just wants to pass on thanks. It was Bernie who was working on the programme at uh, the time. She says the only thing that's wrong though is, she says uh, the photo is a sight. She says she describes herself as looking like the wild man from Borneo. I'm sure you're gorgeous in it, Sheila. That's what it for today. Thanks to John Paul. Nick Richie for the afternoon. Bye. On C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.